Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode of GoTime is brought to you by Airbrake. Airbrake is full stack error monitoring for Go applications. Get real time error alerts plus all the info you need to fix any error fast. And in this segment, I'm talking to Joe Godfrey, CEO of Airbrake, about why getting to the root cause of errors is so important. Look, Adam, to me, root cause is everything. All software has bugs. We all know that. And when you find a bug or, or when you can't find a bug, the amount of time that typically gets spent trying to chase around and figure out how to reproduce the problem and what's the cause of the problem, even like what part of the code kicked it off or what sort of actions drive it. I mean, that's hours and hours of time wasted spent chasing your tail instead of actually fixing the problem, improving the customer experience and getting back to building more features, which is really what your company is all about. So to me, being able to really understand like what is the root cause of this problem is the key factor to being able to solve that problem and get back to doing what's most important, which is building new features and improving your product. And and quite frankly, fixing the customer experience that's broken as long as that bug is out there. All right, check out Airbrake at airbrake.io slash GoTime. GoTime listeners get Airbrake for free for 30 days, plus you get 50% off your first three months. Try it free today. Once again, airbrake.io slash GoTime. Hey everyone, this is Florin and it's go time. This is Go Time, a panel of Go experts and special guests every single week discussing the Go programming language, the community, and everything in between. We record live every Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. Tune in at GoTime.fm. All right, it is Go Time episode, I think, based on this document, 74, 75, episode 75. And uh, I'm Adam Stokowiak. I never host this show. In fact, I've never hosted this show. I just come on as a thing on the wall or something like that. But uh, I'm not ever in the limelight here. But today I'm going to host it because uh, why not, right? And I got, obviously, I Carly see here. So say hi, please. Hi, everybody. And I hate when we do that. So I always listen to Eric or Brian say, hey, so say hi. Because it's like somebody said in the chat a while back that it was like, uh, like the circus, you're asking somebody to do something. It's a, it's a weird thing. I'll never do that again. Oh, Brian Brian always rebels against that. He does, and I do too, and, and I did it. So, you know, the cycle continues. And we've got a longtime listener, uh, first-time caller, pinnacle person in, in Go from what I can tell. I'm, I'm merely an outsider here, but Florian Patan, you're here. Thank you so much for joining us today. Say hello. Oh, hey, everyone. Happy to be here. Did I do a good job on the name? Was it, it was mostly okay, right? Yeah, mostly okay. <laughs> Let's go with that. Yes. So for those catching on the rebroadcast and or live show of this, uh, it's difficult to say his name, but I, I've got it. So that there you go. And today, from what I understand, we're talking about Goland, which is not Goland, it's Goland. It's an IDE from our friends at DeadBrains. And then we're also talking about Go the Community, which is fun. And particularly the fact that you help lead the go for Slack, which is considering how much it's grown over the years, it's got to be a big job. So, uh, but let's maybe start with 
your version of, you know, who you are in the Go community, what you're doing, help people understand who you are. Okay, sure. That, that sounds fine. So, um, yeah, well, I've started with Go roughly five years ago, I guess. Um, back then, I kind of did a lot of PHP and I was, okay, let, let's see if I can learn something else. Um, I couldn't learn Scala. I was like, nah, not really my cup of tea. And yeah, I found Go and ever since then, I switched to it full time. Um, I became, uh, like initially a member of the go, uh, Slack channel. After that, I became an admin here. Um, and ever since I've gotten a bunch of other go jobs officially and like maintain some pet projects and got involved in the, uh, JetBrains extension for, uh, for go and one thing led to another. And five years later, here I am working now for them officially as a developer advocate. This is like breaking news, though, right? Like this is day one or day two, from what I understand, of you being a JetBrains employee? Yeah, pretty much. It's the the first week I'm officially uh, at JetBrains. Uh, before that, I think people assumed I'm part of the JetBrains team, although I wasn't. Because you're so active. Uh, Oh yeah, pretty much. It, it's the editor that I personally use. I I enjoy using, and you know, I I know it's a bit of a sensitive topic here because everybody's used to their own workflows, their own um, editors, and yeah, people can can get a bit uh, more passionate about this. But yeah, overall, like I, I like this one, and I, I guess here we are. Right. Well, you got Emacs, Vim, of course. You can't ever, you know, avoid those two, right? Those are not technically editors, but they, they, they are. Um, oh, no. Then, yeah, they are. Sorry. Then you've got uh, VS Code, which has become... Uh, Carly, you use VS Code, right? Yeah, that's what I've been using for a, long, for a while. But for a while, there, you were using Electron, weren't you? Adam. Not, not Electron, sorry, Adam. My bad. Adam. I always mm-hmm. skip those up. And I, I don't, yes. what, what made you switch away from that? I don't remember anymore. I was having some troubles and I think it was, there was a speed issue too. And yeah, I don't remember mm. basically. Well, I use VS code, but I don't do any Golang pro, uh, programming at all. Nothing whatsoever. Uh, which makes me totally an imposter here. But, uh, you know, the, the tagline for Goland is capable and ergonomic. Yeah, let's talk about that. that. What, what does ergonomic mean in this context? In this context, it means that you, it allows you to to do whatever you need to do and focus on the code and let the ID uh, figure out for you uh, where your mistakes are as soon as you, you do them or help you suggest fixes uh, on for them. So let's say... Um, you have a mistake in your code, uh, you you can uh, quickly correct it. Uh, sometimes the ID itself being able to to provide uh, fixes for, for it. Um, and it also allows you to use it not only in Go context, but also for web development. So for things like TypeScript, or I've seen now there's, a, there's more support for Vue.js as a framework. There's like a bunch of 
uh, React, Node.js support by default in, in the IDE. Uh, so it allows you to, to focus on development, not, not only for Go, but even if it's tailored for it, but also for uh, a lot of other languages. So um, it, it also, like many people don't know this, but like one of the, the tip to actually start using the IDE is unplug your uh, mouse or turn off your touchpad because you can do everything with, with just a keyboard. Hmm. And so. so the way you got involved in this was through community aspects, plugins. Is that right? Yes, pretty much. So uh, when I started learning Go, um, my editor back then was IntelliJ Idea. And uh, I noticed there was a plugin which wasn't really maintained at the time. And I learned Java in order to write Go, basically. Learn Java to write Go. You don't hear that often. <laughs> yes. It's like actually that I'm, I'm concerned that there's actually some sort of internet searches right now for your address to come and get you or something like that because you shouldn't say stuff like that. Is that true? I mean, does that happen <laughs> well, often? Uh, I, I don't think it happens that often. Um, more often it happens that people may already know Java and they are switching to Go. But I simply wanted to improve my development experience. And um, yeah, because the plugin was open source at the time, uh, I could just jump in, send PRs, and became one of the contributors to the open source plugin. Um, and yeah, basically started learning Java alongside with Go because I was so much into Go. So the ITE, I see here that the ITE is, pay, you need to pay for it after your trial is up, right? Uh, yes, that's correct. You. So if people do a plugin, do they also get paid? Uh, do they, right. do so, they have ability to sell uh, a plugin? Uh, yes. Yeah, so um, there is a plugin that's uh, available for IntelliJ IDEA Ultimate. Um, the open source plugin that I used to maintain at some point, JetBrains took over it. Uh, still developed it as an open source uh, project, and then they realized that they are spending way too much uh, time on it, and they said, okay, we need to focus more resources on it, I guess. And that's how the, the, like, we started having a proper ID from, from them. Um, you need to pay for it, um, but you, you can also get it for free if you're an open source developer or... If you're a student, there's a uh, discount for for their licenses, like for, for one year. Um, and if you have some other discounts as well, like user groups, for example, can get licenses for free if they they meet a certain requirement in terms of uh, how often they, they happen and uh, how many people they, uh, they have attending. So there, there's a lot of... Um, giving back to the community as well, not, not just, uh, you know, asking for money from developers, uh, which is a nice thing. Uh, you don't really see that in too many companies, I guess. Interesting. It, it, I'm looking on the different options. When you click on buy, it actually gives you a couple of different ways you can. And then one of the ways you can find that is, is, uh, is the four open source projects, which is free. It says non-commercial open source projects can qualify for free licenses to Goland and other JetBrains tools, provided they meet a simple set of criteria. 
Are you familiar with that? Uh, the the restrictions or, or constraints around that? Uh, I'm not very familiar as it's uh, you know first week here, uh, but I'm I'm happy to to follow up on that. Gotcha. Uh, usually, if you if you just write to them, they're very quick to to reply. So. Um, yeah, just if you're listening to this, just feel free to to write to uh, to the sales team and ask them, and they will be happy to uh, nice. talk with you. So, why does this? Why do you choose this editor over other options? So like we talked about, the you know the tried and true. I know that uh, that Brian and Eric. I'm pretty sure they're Vim candidates. Uh, Carlos, you use VS Code. I use VS Code. I'm sure there's lots of others out there listening that use VS Code because it's very supportive of Go. But why do you why choose Goland over other options? What why is it perfect for you? Uh, so for me personally, it, it's the um, inspection engine that um, allows you to detect in real time issues that you have with the ID uh, with with your code from the ID. So for example, if you have a um, Compiler errors. You don't need to necessarily wait for uh, the Go build tool to actually compile your code. The IDE will know that. Or uh, it's the fact that it integrates with other um, tools or languages, such as, for example, um, if you work in uh, with a database like Postgres, you can type a SQL query, and if you use either the standard uh, library database SQL or a library like um, PGX, or uh, SQLX, or Mark's, uh, Mark Bates uh, slash pop, it will recognize that the string is, all, uh, is a SQL query. It will start offering you auto-completion for, for SQL, and it will even tell you things like, oh, you're, you don't have that column in the database. Do you want to add it? Or uh, it allows you to preview the queries that you have. So there's a lot of intelligence in there. There's also, for me, what I've found that's really um, useful is the refactoring support. So if, if you want to, to rename something or if you want to move uh, types around, you can do that, which, which is pretty, pretty useful. Um, and in general, the auto-completion engine is really uh, spot on into figuring out what you want to type as soon as you type it. Hmm. Can, so, you, can you speak to any of this, Carlos, yet to like a, an alternate, how, how it works in VS Code for you with some of the things he's mentioning? Um, I haven't enabled anything, basically. Like not, I mean, I have the Go plugin, but I haven't souped it up. So I don't know... I know that they, they it can autocomplete things. I just haven't set it up. And other stuff like uh, correcting, it will highlight um, things that will be caught on like code formatting and a bunch of things to tell you if it's an error or if it's a warning, it will tell you all of that. And you can, you have the option to make it, more on your face or just quietly warn you of these, uh, notify you of these either errors of warnings. And so I, I haven't used gold land, gold land. <laughs> so I don't know how it compares, but it sounds like it does, VS Code does most, if, or if not all of it. 
Right. I don't so, know. Uh, yeah, so we uh, in in terms of features, some of these features you'll find in other editors like VS Code or Atom or uh, I think in uh, VI or Emacs as well. I'm not really sure because those are things that I haven't tried as editors. Sorry, uh, but uh, whereas in those editors you, for example, need to install the plugin and then you need to install additional tooling and so on. For uh, for this ID, you just need to install the ID and you're ready to go. Like you don't have any other uh, setup need. Let's say you just have uh, to install Go the ID and you can start working on on your projects. And also every time we release an update, you get all the features and so on without having to further update the tools. And yeah, th that would be another. Um, difference between this uh, approach and what other editors are doing. Mm. Are you familiar with the DEP integration portion of this? Sounds like uh, there's some integration with DEP, the open source project there. Oh, yes. So we we just released that like in a couple of weeks ago in, in the latest release in 2018.1. And um, what it allows you to do is it allows you to have a uh, project that uses DEP and it figures out when, whenever you change the imports or you add a, a dependency on a code that doesn't, uh, uh, on, you add a dependency on a library that's not imported yet or not in your uh, vendor uh, folder, it uh, figures out that it needs to, to run DEP and it works its magic in the background to uh, invoke the, the necessary commands so that you can just continue typing. That is pretty cool. Why, why is that important to Go developers, having that kind of integration? I, I guess for, a, like, if you come from other languages, let's say, uh, I don't know, Ruby, Python, PHP, uh, that, that kind of integration you will see already in other editors there. And uh, for us, it, it's something that's missing. Um, it's something that, um, especially because of the the fact that you actually uh, need all the all the code to be there in order to compile the the project, right? Uh, you would you would want to to take that out of the user task and not not have the user have to go in in the command line and now say, okay, now I need to go in in my definition file or let them figure it out the version that I need and then run dep ensure, right? You would need to do that manually or you need to run dep ensure add and then the uh, dependency itself. And that's what the ADE does in background now for you. You don't have to take your focus away from the code, right? You can still have the context in, in front of you. Yeah, I guess for... Uh, uh new people coming in to go, you know, it's one more thing to learn on top of everything that they have to learn. So having it easier mm -hmm. to manage in the IDE, I can see that being a benefit. And also, you know, for the same reason people use Git integration in their IDEs. Um, I, I don't because I learned to do it on the command line. So I, I trust that I always know what's going on there, as opposed to the idea I need to learn another thing. So I had the same if, feeling until recently. <laughs> honestly, I I was such a purist to say, 
I have uh, aliases. I know Git. I'm yeah. smart. I'm cool enough. I can use the terminal. I can use Git on the terminal and take it from me. I dare you. That was my opinion. And then mm -hmm. I started to use VS Code and I was like, huh, I could just commit this one file right here because it's it's a click. And so what I end up doing is doing both. It's not a replacement. Mm. It's it's not an either or. It's a both scenario for me. Uh, Florian, what about you? Is it is it a both or an and or for you for get integration and say an IDE or a VS Code type thing? How, how do you work with that? So I'm mostly working from command line. Um, I, I, the, I haven't managed to, to switch fully to the IDE side. Mm. Uh, I, I do use the IDE for doing things like... Uh, Differences between um, files when whenever there's a conflict and so on, I find it so much more convenient to do. Yeah, um, And um, there are some some features now that I I was reading about in in the latest releases that I will definitely give uh, give them a more uh, careful consideration because you can now do things like uh, partially commit a file. So. Let's say if you change a few things in a file, then you you don't want to commit the whole uh, file now. You you can just select the areas that you want, and you can commit that, and then have the rest of the file not committed, which sounds pretty interesting. Uh, if if you have a workflow where you add, let's say, debugging functions or some some debugging uh, values, but you don't want to commit them. Uh, at, uh, That's super interesting. Yeah, I've actually, yeah. I'm in a different context, but I might be working on, let's say, like a SAS document and I'm writing styles for, let's say, changelog.com or something. And I don't want to commit every new rule set that I've changed. I only want to commit, you know, these five lines. I'm I'm with you. Like the partial committing is really, really interesting to me because I don't even know if I know or could under, could remember the syntax to get to do that in the terminal. Oh yeah, that that that's the, the the problem for me as well. Like I I wouldn't figure out the the whole syntax at all. And there are other things as well, like task management, for example, which allows you to work on various tickets and group them in work units, so that you can quickly switch between, um, let's say, uh, one one task and another uh, with just a click of a button or. Right. Uh, yeah, you'll have all the changes done there. I didn't even know you could do that. Are you talking about commit or at tracking? Uh, so neither of them. Like you, let's say for example, you're working on a certain task right now, uh, and then someone else comes to you quickly and you want uh, ask you to do something. You can basically tell the ID, okay, these these are the changes that I'm doing. Mark them as such. And let's start a new uh, session to to edit the code. And this session will be, let's say, a debugging session or or something that you you show the, uh, to the person. And you you can basically have um, two two different change sets uh, at the same time, not interfering with each other as of the the latest um, version, allowing you to to basically work on two tasks in the same file, let's say, if you want. And you're not branching anything. You're just, that's something nope. that the IT is doing. Mm -hmm. Yes, pretty much. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's I'm cool. looking at the, the UI for this too. It looks like what happens is you can select certain lines and say, you know, I want to commit these, you know, these lines. And then it looks like you get the option to like 
check boxes in the diff, in the gutter of the diff. So you can say, like, I want these changes because you're looking at the diff to say, what should I commit? At least it, it seems that way from what I'm seeing here. And you can say, I, I want to just commit these four lines here. And you check the box next to the diff that says this is what's being added versus like, you know, the, the tracked version versus your version. And, you know, boom, you put that into the, you, you commit that and ship it up to you know, a branch or whatever you're doing to master if you got that and life moves on. Yeah, pretty much. That's that's the workflow that, that you have. Yeah, I think, you know, if we're asking the question of like, how do you choose which editor? I mean, that would, that's a never ending war that will always go on. But when you add the the three letters IDE after something, you know, it, it stands for, you know, much more than just simply saying, hey, this is an editor. This is an integrated tool an integrated development environment. As a matter of fact, is what it, what it means. But, you know, why uh, why do you think somebody chooses, let's say, an IDE or not? Like, Carly, in your case, you're, you're using VS Code. It works great for Go. But as you said uh, to your own admission, you haven't really given it. You haven't souped it up, as you had said. Mm-hmm. You know, so you didn't make it have any special powers to make developing Go programs or Go languages, you know, based projects any easier for yourself, you know, autocompletion, different stuff like that. Why do you yeah. think that, you know, do you think an IDE is for a beginner, for a novice, or is it for an expert? Like who, who uses an IDE and why do they choose an IDE over say anything else that isn't? I don't even like this question. <laughs> 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 I, an ID is for anybody. I, I mean, I see people who are extremely experienced using IDs, and I see, you know, obviously IDs are for beginners. And I think, um, an, especially an ID that lets you get off the off the ground running with not much thought, like VS Code, this one um, is great for beginners because you don't need to, uh, you know, you're not required to learn a bunch of things and then you can soup it up as you go along as you find a need for things. Um, and it just, an idea makes a lot of things easier uh, rather than, I don't know, what would you, what was the alternative, like notepad? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of a trick question. It's kind of a trick question. The reason why I say that is because it's like, to me, um, you can be a purist and revolt right? I'm command line only, or I'm Vim only. Take it from me. If Brian was here, he'd be saying that, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. I've heard him say it before. Uh, so I'm just emulating him in that, in that, uh, in that fact. But um, you got somebody who's, who's just wants to be efficient. That's how I think of it. You know, I've, over my years of, of working on projects, I started out as a purist. And over time, I actually said this the other day, I started out as a purist and now I'm a pragmatist, right? And that just means that I'm doing it the long form way because I know how to use Git on the command line, for example, or I know how to do this because I know all the documentation or this function or whatever it might be. I know it by heart. So I'm going to hand type it. Don't auto complete anything for me because I want to make sure every character is the way I want it to be. So it's control. Then you got the other side, which is like, well, I I just want to not save time because I got family or a life or other things. I don't know. You just want to be more efficient. So to me, it seems like now my opinions towards IDEs have changed that yeah. maybe they're for people who care about efficiency rather than simply saying you're a new person or you're a expert yeah. or whatever. In my case in specific in regards to Git and how I use Git in the command line and not 
in my IDE is because I learned Git in the command line. So it's sort of like laziness because for me to use in the IDE, I have, now I have to learn how the ID, that this particular IDE works. And, may, and who knows, maybe tomorrow I'm changing IDE because it's a thing that I do. I change it every once in a while. Then I, now I have to learn the other one. And if I don't use, keep using the command line, I'll forget. And then all of a sudden I need to use it on the command line. Like, oh, how do I do that again? So for me, it's pragmatic to keep using it because I already know and I don't want to forget. Yeah. And and I like your contrast between uh, purist and pragmatic. And I also, I also moved from being a purist and purist in the sense of having consistency. Like if I have, if I'm using one IDE, I have to put all my efforts into learning everything about this idea or, or whatever, like uh, Vim, for example. I went through a phase where I was trying to just use Vim and I learned a ton, but that didn't work for me because, and let me just finish my my, my uh, observation about contrasting purist versus pragmatic, because now I'm, I'm more pragmatic and I say, why just use one? Use both, use two, use three. You don't have to just use one tool that does the same thing. So I use, my idea always has a Vim integration because Vim can be very, very productive. It can be a lot faster using Vim. So what happened to me when I was a pure, trying to be a purist and use just Vim, I would learn a bunch of commands, right, that I use all the time. And then I have to open a new file or I have to like move a file. And I'm like, how do I do that again? Because I didn't do that very often, you know, mm -hmm. like I am moving my cursor around. I'm doing that all the time. So, okay, I memorized those commands, but now I need to open a new file. Oh, I mean, when you're on a brand new project, you're doing that all the time. But when you, you're working with legacy, you're not doing that very often. So I just kept running to that wall. Like I couldn't do everything without banning my minds and trying to remember and looking mm -hmm. things up all the time. So I was like, nah. What about you, Phil? I, How do you feel? How do you feel about this? What so, you're saying? Well, that, that's the thing. I, I feel that, you know, if it works for you, then yeah, that's, that's the thing. Like you being productive is the most important thing at the end of the day, because as you said earlier, you may have family, you may have other things that you want to, to care about. And honestly, if you ask any of your users, they won't care in which IDE or editor or command line you write. They, they just want their product to work, right? So for me, being efficient is trumps everything in terms of like, oh no, my editor is cool. Oh no, my IDE is better. Right. That that That's not something that you should aim for. You should aim to have an environment that allows you to be as productive as you can be and it helps you when you need to. Yeah. It doesn't stand in your way. I like this productive as you can be. And I think let's pull in some some of the commentary here in inside of GoTime FM Slack. So if you're listening to this in the aftermath, meaning it's produced, you're listening to it on the podcast feed, you can listen live every week. We broadcast live on Thursdays and you can have things like this mentioned on the show where uh, Corey Leno says command line or bust typical. I like that. That's a, that's a, it's a, he's definitely a fan of Brian. He's, he's, he's in that vein of like, take it from me. I dare you. Um, and then you've got other comments. This one is from Fernando. Uh, what's he seeing here? He's saying, I basically use VS code for projects, which I like this, this idea here. I use VS code for projects and any single file or one-off editing, maybe something that's happening inside a terminal, I'll just pop it up in Vim. So it's like, 
I'm going to use the tool that's available for me in the right context. Maybe I don't know everything about Vim and I could just use it for quick in and outs. That makes sense because Vim's everywhere pretty much. Uh, you know, using the tools that are that are available to you to make, make it efficient. But, you know, Go specifically, programming in Go, you know, you may want to use something that's a bit more souped up in Carlicia's terms for, for you. Uh, who else? There's some others. There's some other mentions of Git. You got uh, Tower as a tool for using Git. Uh, you've got something else we just mentioned was it's Mad Maggot. That's kind of a weird name for a project. It's magic, but maggot. <laughs> I don't know if that's how you pronounce oh, it, but that's what it says. Oh yeah, it's the Emacs integration. I've I've heard people that you know they use that and yeah. they then forget how to use the command line. Well, basically saying, you know, the different tools can be souped up. As you said, Carly, so you can, you can do some stuff to VS Code. You can do some stuff to Vim, obviously. There, there's endless ways you can, you know, fine-tune Vim to your control. Everything could be souped up. But uh, an IDE seems to be specifically souped up for a particular language and or workflow. Yeah, and uh, if, you, if you think about it, like... I know this is something that not many people want to acknowledge, but as soon as you start your customizing your Vim or Emacs or whatever setup you have, it becomes pretty much an IDE because it's your integrated development environment, right? You configure it the way you want. You add any plugins, any workflows you want, and that's pretty much it. With yeah. something like Goland, you kind of take all that integration and you adapt that uh, integration to your workflow. You say, oh, no, I don't want, let's say, automatic uh, commits or whatever. Uh, you turn that off or you turn it on if you want it and so on. So the integration is already there. You just need to tell it how to behave for you. Can you export those settings? Can you uh, have everything in the file? Because with Vim, it's true what you said, but at least you can have all of that configuration in one place and you can mm -hmm. move it around machines. And that's sort of easy to do. Oh, yeah, you, you can definitely do that. And there's actually now a plugin that I think we bundle in uh, by, by default. I'm not really sure how the default setup looks anymore, but you basically have a plugin which is um, meant for syncing your settings in the cloud. So basically, whatever you configure in one machine, from uh, the key mapping to what plugins you use and so on, whenever you, uh, let's say, go home, you can have the same setup yeah. you know, synchronized to you via the cloud. What's that plugin name? Do you, do you know the name? I think it's the uh, ID uh, sync settings. I'll give it to you in a minute. Gotcha. I just don't have it right now. That's interesting. So... I mean, that's something I do uh, back to the purest method is like most hardcore developers, I use dot files and I do my best to commit any changes to my dot files back to my dot files repo and manually. I, I don't know if there's an automatic way to do this, but I manually sync those things up. So I tend to go back and forth from a iMac Pro to a MacBook Pro when I'm mobile and I do code on both. And uh, in my case, I use VS Code. And I have those settings that you're talking about, Carlicia, synced to my dot files. So I actually have them remapped. Um, let me recall what, what tool I'm, I'm using for that. I'll, I'll think about that here in a second. But 
essentially just sync my stuff through dot files and it's a manual process and there's times when they're out of sync and I'm not sure if they are in sync. So having some sort of cloud integration sounds kind of nice, but takes that purest method away. It, now it's pragmatist. It's like, well, I guess I can use the cloud, right? The cloud never lies. Well, it's there for you to use, right? Like, why not use it? We right. program on the cloud most of the time these days, or at least we we hear about the cloud. So might just as well use it for, for your editor as well. Mm. Might as well, huh? Yeah, it, it's called the ID settings sync, and I think it's bundled in by default because you can't uninstall it. I was hoping to find this real quick. I use this one thing from ThoughtBot. If you've heard of ThoughtBot's laptop project on GitHub, it's great for setting up a new machine. But as part of laptop, they've done some other things to make you know new dev environments easy to not only create but also to you know pull in dot files and such. So they have this pretty interesting project that I can't recall the name of it now, but. Uh, I'll find it and I'll put it in the show notes. If you're listening, check the show notes. This episode of GoTime is brought to you by Active State. Active State gives you a faster way to build and secure open source runtimes from your first line of code on through to production. Every second you spend building your Go distro or open source language distro is less time spent on doing the work you love. You got better things to do. You know it. I know it. And with Active State, you can focus on your code and leave the open source to them. Your teams can standardize with Go builds from Active State for your specific use. You'll have less friction in the development cycle, and that means you can deliver apps faster. Try Active State and see why it was chosen by IBM, Microsoft, NASA, Siemens, PepsiCo, and more. Discover for yourself why millions of developers trust Active State to build their open source language distros. Check them out at activestate.com slash go time. Once again, activestate.com slash go time. Let's, uh, let's move on. Let's talk about, uh, Let's talk about some of the things you've done. I, you know, from what I understand, how long has the Slack community been in, in place, the go for Slack? A couple years now? Five years? I think roughly four years. Four years. No less than yeah. four years, for sure. Maybe five years. Five years. Bill Kennedy would know. I think he was the one who started it. Oh, yeah. He, he's the, the one that started the whole thing. And... Um, yeah, Tim just uh, dropped a little link in there, and what I was thinking was was called RCM. So going back to what I just said, so I, I'm gonna bring it back real quick. It's it's RC file dot management is what that is. It's from is from uh, from Thoughtbot. So check that project out. It'll be in the show notes. So four years. Who started this? Was it one person? Was it uh, you know a ghost? Who did this? Who who made this place possible? I think it was Bill Kennedy. Hmm. Oh yeah, it, it was Bill and a few others uh, that started the whole thing, which grew up immensely in the last couple of years, actually. And it's been a while since, uh, since I looked, but it go wow, okay, this is a lot more than than several years ago when I joined. Twenty five thousand eight hundred and twenty three as of this recording. 
that's how many people are in general, which probably means that's how many people are in the community in general, right? Because general is the, the primary channel. And I think you have to actually, can you actually even leave general? You can't leave general. No, unfortunately, Slack doesn't allow you to do that. But you can mute it. Yeah. Uh, you can mute it if right. you want. Okay. Uh, why, would, why would you want to do that? <laughs> well, maybe you're there for, you know, one of the channels rather than the, the, the you know, I look at this kind of like Twitter, no, you know, general I'm, is I'm, the fire hose. I'm joking. It's muted for me. Yeah. It's too much. Too hard to keep up with. I mean, you're just. It's, it's impossible. Yeah. Well, it's. For one, it just would sound off all the time unless you've got it muted. It's not muting because you're like, I don't want to listen. It's just more like, don't tell me every time something's happening because I will literally never get work done. I would just sit here and watch General all day long and you'd be like, hey, what'd you do today? Uh, I was in Gopher's Lock watching General. Yeah. But Florin does watch it frequently, right? Very and, active. And actually, that is one of the things that I wanted to ask, um, how you have seen the character of Gopher Slack changing over these years because you're super active. Well, that, that's the thing. Like, I don't think it changed that much because if you look at the community, it's probably one of the best communities out there. I I just love it. It's, all the people here are friendly. They uh, help you with, whenever you have a problem or you're trying to, to work through something, either if you're complete beginner, not necessarily with Go, but like with programming or a Go newbie um, or even someone that's, you know, more experienced that can come in either asking general or in Golang newbies or in any of the dedicated channels we have here. And people will be there uh, guiding you or, you know, if they don't know the answer, they would at least point you to let's say the mailing list or the, the go tracker or who knows what other resource it's available that uh, explains the, uh, how to solve your particular need. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's something that that's really cool. I'm happy that I found this community uh, when I did. And even though it looks a bit scary when, when you say, Oh, there's like, 26,000 people in general, I'm not going to ask a question because who knows who's watching. I mean, I'm not good enough to, to answer. Like nobody should feel like that because everybody's here to, to help each other and to, to learn from each other. And that's great. Do you guys feel like Slack is the, you know, not so much the epicenter, or at least one of maybe several epicenters you got, Obviously, face-to-face -face meetups, you got conferences, you got different things happening. But do you feel like Go for Slack is the place to be if you are a Go programmer? I would say yes. Do you feel um, like if you're not in, in it, you're missing out? Uh, it, it depends. Oh, go ahead, Carlicia. <laughs> dying to jump in I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say that especially because people have different modes of working that is sort of like saying if you're not on Twitter you're not a, a real like you you you're not a real developer because I think that's what the question how the question was first phrased well not or so like much you, they're not a real developer but just like if they're missing out like what I'm trying to get at is like is this a place to be should you be but, here Definitely missing out. Yes, yes, because a lot, a lot of conversation happens, and a lot, a lot of connections happen in, on Gopher Slack. And if you're not participating, you're missing out. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you're not getting connections and getting benefits from other um, 
from other venues or channels. Um, but definitely missing out. There's a lot, just the volume that goes through the Gopher Slack is crazy. They in the job chan, jobs channel. Um, there's so many channels. There's something oh, there's for everybody. The, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, there's like a review channel. If you want to have your code reviewed by people, you can come here and ask for a review. And people will do it. Like it doesn't really matter how big the project is or anything like that. While we're trying to invite people, I'm seeing Bill Kennedy uh, in Slack mention. He says, uh, "End quote. Uh, not everyone can participate here because of our code of conduct rules. The ML is very powerful. I didn't know there was machine learning behind the scenes on this, but uh, <laughs> can somebody clue me into what he's talking about here?" Oh, so he's uh, referring to the code of conduct that we have and to the uh, Golang uh, mailing, mailing list. Mailing list. When so you say ML, the, I'm thinking machine learning, okay, just so you know. No, we, <laughs> we refer to it as the Golang nuts and Golang dev. Gotcha. The, the two mailing okay. lists. I was like, dang, the, the, we got machine learning behind the code of conduct and getting into this gopher select. That's a lot. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, my bad. Acronym replaced with minimalist. Moving on. All right. So, who who? What does this mean? Who can't participate then? Like, what what is it filtering out? Like, particular people or particular types of people or just just things you shouldn't do? Some people oh, no. don't participate because they don't agree with the code of conduct, mm, or okay. or they infringe on the code of conduct. Code of conduct, and some people do that not knowing and. You know, there are a bunch of admins who are active participants on Slack, and you, the, there is a, a series of, there is a procedure to handle that, right? So the first step is to let the person know, hey, you know, you're saying this, and we have a code of conduct, and that that goes against the code of conduct. Most people are like, oh, I'm so sorry, I did not know, and they, they we ask them to edit or delete whatever mm-hmm. was the infringement, and they're happy to do it. And they're happy to be informed uh, and not so they don't continue to infringe, right? And a very rare minority will rebel against it, will not comply, and they have to be removed from the space. And if they don't agree to abide, they can't rejoin because the same thing will keep happening. The suspensions happen in perpetuity or is it temporary suspensions how does how do these things get decided, and how much work is it for the individuals involved? Um, it depends on a case by case basis, I guess. Uh, some of them are just like you know maybe we will say, hey, you needed to call off, take a few days off, uh, come back later. Or some of them are more permanent because you know they really go well beyond the code of conduct or. You know, common sense, because Mm -hmm. that's what it really is at the end of the day. We try to be as inclusive as possible here and welcome everyone to to join us and learn. But sometimes people infringe on it. Yes, and I'm also an admin, so I participate in this conversation. That's how I can pipe in. Uh, We don't have, we are volunteers. Right. And we don't have a tool to suspend people and keep track of that. So what we can say is we're giving we are letting you know and people usually comply. In some cases we say we, we're letting you know and the person still, you know, 
doesn't come down or and we say, hey, you know, we're giving a, giving you a warning. We're going to let it go this time. Right. And if it, it, it really depends on the situation. So if we, if the inf- infraction, I would say infringement, if the infraction reoccurs, or maybe sometimes we say, if it happens again, we're going to have to kick you out. Uh, so it's sort of like... A last-ditch effort, basically. Yeah. You're giving them mid- several chances to correct. The, the middle of the road there is that we, we warned that, that we're going to give them another chance. Otherwise, we don't have a way to just suspend and for 30 days and then check if, you know, who needs to be brought back in. You, you, you're going to have to be kicked out. So do you, by saying that, then, so there's no list of who is banned or has been removed for whatever reason. There's no tracking of these things. So it's sort of like a personal scenario where you have a small collective. I'm just assuming this. You got a small collective of people who are admins and you've got memory and you're using your memory to, to recall people's infringements. You're not keeping lists or tabs on people, basically. No, no, exactly. And also it wouldn't make sense because we don't have a requirement that people use their real name. So they can join with a different username and yeah. name and you'll be, I think it'll be a waste of time. If people really want to do with speech, whatever the, whatever way they want to, to speak, um, they can, they have resources, recourse, you know, they can just join it with a different account. But so it's really, we just need to be on top of it all the time. Switching gears yeah, a little bit. I, or go ahead, Florin, if you got, uh, if you want to mention something. Go Sorry. Ahead. So yeah, I was actually reading the, the chat here and Bill says that we have the, the message history, which is, True, pretty much we, we have the history from the beginning of this Slack, so roughly four or five years of messages. And uh, we have a private room where all the admins are uh, chatting together. And whenever an incident comes up, uh, we we talk to, uh, together there. But you also, for example, if someone notices something when whenever we, we don't look, you can either ping us directly or you have a channel called admin help, admin dash help. And that, that's how we, we have a, a history of what happened because yeah, we, we are humans as well. And as Carlicia yeah. said, volunteers. Yeah. And, and every, all the, uh, the admins, we have an understanding that we, whenever we approach people, first of all, we do it in private. Um, and we do it with taking that, the, with the understanding that, with the intention of, how do I want to say this? Help me, Florin. We think that I, we, we start out thinking that the person didn't want, didn't know about the code of conduct or needs a little bit of guidance. We, we never try to shame or say, oh, you did wrong and that was so wrong. It is, that's not what it's about. It, it's really about keeping the space safe for everybody and comfortable and kid-friendly, although that's debatable what kid-friendly should be, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah, pretty much that's the the hardest part. Like trying to to make sure that you know we give as much opportunity to people to express themselves, but at the same time not making it so in an uncomfortable manner for others. And uh, yeah, we are fortunate enough that these kind of things happen very rarely, like probably once a month or less, where we actually need to take action against uh, anything here maybe since we're talking about the 
you know, earlier on in this conversation, how the numbers of people involved in Gopher Slack have grown over the years. Uh, it's kind of keying into evolution. You know, maybe we could talk about the other point here, which is how the community compares to maybe other languages. Maybe that speaks to maturity in terms of like the community and the different tool sets around it. What do you what do you all feel around what helps this community be a good community? You know, not not so much just go for Slack, but the conferences. How do you feel the Go community compares to other languages? Good and bad. So um, at least from from what I can see in, in our community, um, pretty much everything starts from the top. And like the, the people that started the language behaved in a certain way. Then, you know, when the language started to grow, the type of persons that got into the language were in of a certain uh, manner, right, of a certain behavior. And I think that's something that uh, persisted throughout its growth uh, phase until now. Um, I, I generally feel that there's not much difference between what we have today in the Go community and what we had maybe three, four years ago, just because whenever people come in, let's say, in contact with the mailing list or with the Gopher Slack, they see that kind of behavior. And at some point, people will just try to emulate what they see. And if, you know, all they see is some someone being friendly to them, someone being helpful, uh, giving them the, the respect they deserve, but they will do the same for the next person that comes in and uh, joins the community. And other languages, I, I guess uh, at some point they grow a lot bigger than what we currently have in Go. I, I still think we are maybe, a, let's say, small to medium community, mm-hmm. right? And we are not as big as, let's say, the maybe C++ or C community or maybe even other scripting languages, right? So there you have a lot more people. Uh, I don't know if they drew in the same way as the Go uh, community drew, or it's maybe just because Go happened so recently compared to the others, and we are just able to to teach Gophers as part of becoming Go programmers, not only to to be programmers, but also be nice to each other. And good community members, good citizens. Yeah. That makes sense. What what do you think, you know, like when I look at the Go community, what I like most about it, or at least, the, you know, let's say an outsider's perspective, because I still feel like an outsider, um, even though I've kind of been involved, I go to every GopherCon since the second one. I don't miss a GopherCon. I'm part of this cast here for this podcast and stuff, and but I still feel like an outsider. But what I what I see is I just tend to see people who are encouraging uh, welcoming and and just general care for others, and I'm not saying I don't see that elsewhere. I'm just not. I'm more involved in this community than I would say others. So I can't say it's a comparison to say this is how it is here and it's not that way there. But that's what I see as good attributes for this community. Is like you just seem like you care about the future of the community, which has it deep implications to how you act in the community. Do you agree? Yes, pretty much. I completely agree. And one thing to say, too, is um, 
when Go got started and when the Go started, the community started growing, it was at a point where other communities had gone through a lot of experiences about uh, dealing with harassment, dealing with infractions to code of conduct, or, or not even having a code of conduct and dealing with the consequences of that. So when the Go community started developing, they got a lot of, they had all of that experience to, to inform them. So that was a, a big difference that Go is a newer community. So it's really almost unfair to compare because we have the benefits of having that experience from other communities, right? Yeah, you've had a chance but, to kind of restart, so to speak, even though you're not it, re anything, you're, you're just starting somewhat fresh because Go is... You, goes about as old as the changelog is, and we started around the same time, 2009-ish. Yeah, so you, you're starting out with the benefit of having information that, that other communities started out not having because that just hadn't happened publicly enough to really come into consciousness, right? Yeah. But the good thing about the Go community that I also we can also not discredit it was, is the willingness to embrace that experience and say we are going to avoid the you know we're going to avoid that at all costs. Like we're going to do everything we can to keep this community safe and inclusive, and uh, you know for now and for the future. So that really deserves some big credit. And like, and like Florian was saying, it, it comes from the top. So that really helps too. There's one note here to talk about, which uh, Florian, it's, it sounds like you've got some thoughts that you put into this, which is uh, what I wish the good community will do going in the future. So what does that mean to you? And it's bold so, too. So I'm, I'm thinking like maybe it's even more important to you. Well, uh, yeah, it's bold as in, you know, probably we we should talk about it because we are here now, right? And we drew a lot in, in the past years uh, as a community as a whole. And I'm sure, you know, we, we just see a small portion of the community. We don't see necessarily all, all that's happening in the community outside of, let's say, go for Slack or the mailing list. Not many people may join these places or, yeah. you know, uh, not many people may even speak uh, English to, to be able to, to join uh, this community. And I, I would really love to, to see um, more people coming forward and uh, helping them uh, come forward and say, hey, look, I'm a Go developer or I'm trying to learn Go and, you know, my native language is maybe, uh, let's say, Romanian or, or some... Uh, other language, right? And be able to to help them out with documentation in their language, or be able to encourage them to speak at conferences, um, helping them move forward uh, as a whole community, right? Um, I was talking to to Dave Chini about this, and he mentioned that you know the Go community in Asia is so big, and we don't know so much about it because we don't really know how to interact well with that community. I would love to, to see more openness to, to that. I would love to, to benefit from their experience, right? Because we have a lot of things that we can learn from there. 
And I would love to not have people write the HTTP routers anymore because that's getting old. <laughs> <laughs> what are we? How are you missing out on China? What, what's the barrier there? Language only, um, or is it the culture? Um, that's a good question, and that's something that would be interesting to to solve because. On one hand, yes, probably there is some some language barrier. If you if you look at let's say all the resources that that we have, the majority of them are in English, right? Yeah. So, and books uh, that have to be translated take time, like documentation. Even there's a translation process that you know things tend to happen in English. From what I understand, this is actually regurgitating some of a podcast I did before while at Node Interactive, uh, the language node. Um, or I guess it's not even a language. It's more like uh, something on top of. Anyways, Node, the platform. I was at that conference and I was talking to um, Shia Lu, who was actually talking about, she was from China, from Shanghai. And she was talking about the Great Firewall of China. And essentially, it's in the case of JavaScript and Node, but I think it applies probably for the Go community as well, is that the barrier was was a language difference and the fact that learning it and you know kind of keeping up uh, was a was a latency because of the translation process and the ability to communicate back, and also the literal uh, digital firewall that uh, may or may not be in place between China and uh, the rest of the internet. Yes, and I think that that's one of the nice things that uh, the Go team and Google managed to, to do recently, probably a couple of months ago, they've, uh, they managed to take the golang.org and make it accessible in China. Right? Mm-hmm. And I know uh, someone that I've met on Gopher Slack was, uh, he's from Iran and the same thing, like he couldn't uh, access basic things like godoc.org, right? And now he can. And that's pretty much great because now we have more people that can learn Go and we can learn from them as well. So, so yeah, that, that's the thing. The, those are some of the, the the steps that I think we need to take. Translating books is another for sure. Um, being able to, to have more diversity uh, in conferences, in um, meetups, in resources in general, or even if you think about, um, let's say, uh, online uh, courses that we have, I, I would be interested to know how many courses are available in, not in English. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I haven't seen any inv- investigation that has been done to explore the question that you asked, Adam, which was, um, what, is the, what are the barriers? I think guessing that language is a big barrier um, would be an easy answer to guess, right? I would guess that too. And because you can, I would say, this is actually, we can verify this, but I would say the majority of people in China don't speak English and you can extrapolate that the majority of programmers don't speak English by default, right? Statistically well, that's, speaking. That's an assumption, I think. Uh, and I made that same assumption and I linked it up in the in the Slack, but it would also be in the show notes. That was my assumption going into this conversation, which actually took place, you know, like December 2016. So this is a two-year-old conversation roughly that I had with Shia Lu. And that, that was my assumption was that 
It was just simply a language barrier. In fact, many of the programmers or people pursuing programming careers and or just as a hobby in China, a lot of China is bilingual or at least pursues bilingualism, uh, but specifically programmers are forced in a lot of ways to not only uh, have Chinese as their first language, but then English as their second because because that most of what happens in education and or innovation happens in programming English. You know, that's the, the limitation well, there. Yeah, you, we can talk in terms of many, and I would never disagree with that. But you, we can always say, I mean, we, we have to look very closely and say and explore well, what really is happening. We can assume yeah. anything because you can say, oh, there are many, and a lot of people who are working with innovation are being forced to take English, but as in the private setting, or is that being taught in school? By the way, is it free? That's what I'm saying. Because right. if if it's not free, if it's not free and accessible to everyone, then people are being excluded. And I think some of those people might be developers that would could otherwise be learning, or maybe having an easier time to learn the language and how to do things well properly and how to take it in other words how to take advantage fully of what the language has to offer if that wasn't something that they were struggling with or they had to like pay a fortune for mm-hmm. so in that sense unless it's being provided for free to all the potential programmers programmer population but in any case um if that was, but it is an assumption, right? I have a, no, I have zero knowledge about China in that regards. But so, if that was the case, just take for example the survey that the Go Language team puts out every year. The survey is in English, so anybody who's using Go or wants to like is using Go is interested in using Go and doesn't know enough English to read that survey won't be counted, accounted for, right? Their experiences, their opinions won't be accounted for because the result of that survey goes right back into the to the Go language team for them to make decisions on how to develop the everything around the language itself and everything around the language. Mm-hmm. I was trying to scan it really quick to see if uh, if there was even an ask in this survey of like, what is your primary language? Not programming language, no. but you know, speaking language, because yeah, it happens no. to Jared and I on the change often, and some, and in a couple of cases, it happens accidentally where we don't even know until we didn't even consider it until afterwards because we're just idiots sometimes. But we've had conversations with people that uh, don't speak English firsthand, and we didn't realize that we actually had a full conversation. And at the end, they're like, "Whoa, I'm tired." And we're like, why? We're getting, we're just, we're, we're rearing to go. We're still excited. You know, we just had a great conversation. And like, well, I just had to think really hard because my brain thinks in one language and I'm speaking in another, how, how fatiguing it is on somebody to, to real time, <laughs> just in time translate. Uh, not to be, not to be, uh, drop that pun in there, but it's pretty good. It's like just in time, you're sort of like, uh, real time translating your thoughts from one language to another and speaking and, and how fatiguing it is. But, I think it'd be good to add that to the future surveys, like, you know, because it would it wouldn't start to inform the community. Like we examined this a few podcasts back on this show where we were like, you know, what was the impact of the survey? What do we learn from it? And that's one thing we uh, at least I'm not seeing if somebody is 
It's at least showing countries. So, I mean, that, that could at least give you some indicators with 25% of the survey participants being in the United States of America. Uh, top five is U.S., Germany, U.K., Canada, France, and Russia. So, that's, uh, was that six? That was six. My bad. I can't count. That's zero base index. <laughs> uh, let's let's move on a little bit. Anything to talk about more about this before we go into maybe projects and news or free software Friday? We got three minutes and twenty seven seconds. Mm, yeah, I, f- I think one one last thing that we can add here is Please do. it's it's not just the the language barrier, which maybe, but as Carlicia, uh touched a bit at some point, it's also being able to have those resources maybe at a lower cost or for free because. Um, that's also a, a big part of uh, being able to to learn something. Uh, some sometimes you like for for let's say uh, many people five dollars can be nothing, but for some of them can be maybe half a week or a week worth of food, mm-hmm. right? So yes, that there's also uh, this component as well, and many many others. And it would be interesting that you know if the community uh, starts thinking about. Those kind of problems as well. Well, I mean, uh, not to elongate it a little further, but I'll say this as a as a as a response to that is is I think it's important if you're going to say that to to then maybe attach at least your own opinion on who might be responsible for making that happen. So is it the community's problem? Is it Google's problem because they primarily you know operate the language and or a a big artifact of the community? Um, because translations is not new to the web. It's a difficult thing to program around. It's a difficult thing for CMSs to deliver. And it's an even more difficult thing to do as a as yet one more thing to do as a maintainer and or author and or educator to now not only communicate in your primary language, but then have the responsibility to translate it. So whose responsibility do you think this falls upon? Us as a community or, or who? And who pays for it? I Ideally, I think it would be us, the community, because at a certain point, there's only so much Google can do. Yeah. They should uh, should help us for sure, if possible. But uh, we should start seeing some uh, some of this in the community, just because it it would show a um, increase in the level of maturity for the for the community, right? Yeah, I guess um, you have to think what is the desired outcome of the language, right? What is the purpose? What is trying, why are they, for example, ask the, what does the Go language team has in mind for the language? What do they want to accomplish and mm-hmm. how do they want to accomplish? Uh, for me, an answer to that question and to any question that applies to the community in general, should doesn't have to be one or the other. And I think it should be both. It should, should be, a concert between uh, concerted. How do you say that? Concerted efforts. Yeah, that's it. Right mm-hmm. between the, the language team and the community and companies. Um, so for me, for example, I see that the language team should sort of like have a direction and help could help kick things off and uh, enable local communities to pick things up and run with the ball. Mm-hmm. So to speak, uh, but just relying on just one, or relying on the, just one, on, on on the other, I don't see how that can work. I'll say this then to the listening audience and and 
those who listen after this live show is like, if you're listening to this and you've got better answers than we do, reach out. Like if you know somebody who's actively working to translate and or expand beyond the English only language for documentation or translating to your localized language, if you've got somebody that's been doing this kind of work and they've got far more insight than we do, or maybe even better opinions, not that ours are bad, reach out, please. And that'd be, that'd be good. I think this, that, that portion there could use uh, some additional attention because that's the hard part is like, you know, who does the work? Is always the hardest question to answer, right? Who does the work? All right. Um, free software Friday. Let's, let's, I put three more minutes back on the clock. So we got three minutes. We got free software Friday and we got maybe some go news. So let's combine them. Uh, Carlos, you go first. Any news, any projects? I don't, I didn't get anything. No, any no. news? What kind of news? Any news? <laughs> No news. All right. No. Florin, any news? Unfortunately, not for me. As no as, news? As, All right. You got to have yeah. a project at least. Give me a project. Well, a project for Free Software for Friday, I can definitely do. Okay. And it would be... What's impacting uh, you? Well, it, it would be Delve, uh, the Go debugger. Um, that's maintained by uh, mostly by Derek and Alessandro. And they are doing a fantastic job to, to get that working. It's available in all the editors that uh, that we have today, and yeah, the amount of work and uh, helpfulness from from that team is is just great. And thank you for for all the efforts behind it. Awesome. Well, I have no go news, but uh, I do have a project that I just came upon today, and I'm actually cheating because we did a live show the first live show we did for JS Party today, uh, just before go time. Uh, first one we've done in a while because we're just bringing it back. But I'm going to borrow what Christopher Hiller mentioned, which was going dark on GitHub. And I think this is super interesting because I love dark interfaces, um, specifically around just interfaces I hang out in too often. I just prefer, like if YouTube gives me a dark option, I'm using dark option. If Overcast gives me a dark option, I'm using dark. I wish Slack gave me a dark option because I'd use that. Uh, and this is pretty interesting because you can uh, check out the repo, uh, follow the link in the top where it just says userstyles.org slash whatever for the styles. It links you to a page. And if you're using Google Chrome or whatever you're using, it will probably tell you to install something called Stylish. And that allows you to ship some customized settings. I'm sure that most people listening to this podcast hang out on GitHub way too often. Uh, or maybe just often enough. And your eyes may appreciate this mention because GitHub Dark is super cool. I've already switched. I'm not going back. And in fact, it's making me really want changelog.com to be dark too. So we've already got a dark version of it on slash podcast and slash community. However, um, we don't have an actual mode for dark. And that bums me out. So I'm going to work on putting a Trello card into the system and getting that worked into our agile workflows and, and uh, our, our agile-ish workflows because we're never perfectly agile. But anyways, how do you guys this feel about going dark on GitHub? What do you think about this that? This is so funny because I could second every word you said. Yeah. I Oh my gosh, I just installed the, it's Everything is dark. I do everything dark. Mm. Just like you said, overcast. Anything that can be dark is will be dark. Yeah, pretty much. I have it already installed 
actually. So I was like, huh, I know that one. So uh, you linked up a dark Slack too. Oh yes. You're so good with the links. When we do the live shows, Florian, you're, like I said, you first time or long time listener, first time caller, you're always in there. Usually the first with links, not to discount anybody else's efforts, but you're always so fast. I don't know how you do it, but dark theme for Slack. I got to, no, but this is going to mess with my theme though. So I like our Slack because I have a, a change log branded specific sidebar theme. Does it jack with the sidebar themes? Oh, no, you can still keep your sidebar if you want. Okay. I don't want to mess my sidebar up. I like my sidebar. Well, cool. That's it for this show. Thanks so much for, uh, you know, tuning in for one. Thank you for your attention and, and, uh, and listening to this show to the regulars in Slack. Thank you. To the future regulars listening right now, thank you. Please join us. Go to where do they go to join? Go for Slack. Do we even say it? Where's the best place to go? Oh, um, it's a bit of a longer one. It's uh, invites.slack.golangbridge.org. Is there a way we can find a shorter version for that? Uh, we can work on it. Yeah, we need we need a shorter one. We need to actually talk to. Uh, the Go folks and uh, and get something from them like golane.org slash Slack or slash community. We need something that's much shorter and like community wide, not just Go for Bridge or Go Bridge wide. Like something that they actually something that's off their URL to to make it much easier. Because I know that I want to invite people, and I always was like I even asked you the other day, Carlos, to get Tim in. I'm like. How do I get somebody into the Slack? I don't even know. So the general channel has, it's in the general channel uh, what a topic box. Mm -hmm. But just to uh, comment on what you, you are thinking, the Go language, language team, they don't want to keep track of those things because like if, if it's on their website or something, then it's sort of implied that they are endorsing it. And they are very careful about giving the impression that they're endorsing something in particular, especially if they don't have the mm. bandwidth to, to keep track of what's going on. So mm. well, that might not happen. <laughs> That's basically what I'm telling you. Well, uh, okay. So here's a better thing is uh, goland.org slash help. The third link down is go for Slack, but that links to a blog post written by Bill Kennedy in 2014, which doesn't have a clear link either. I'm just saying, find a better way to get people in. Oh yeah. That, you know, that so should we be can go either. back to update the link to that go for Slack one. If that's editable, then just send people to goland.org slash help and say, look for go for Slack. And that'll link to the invite. Boom. Oh yeah. It should definitely be there. It's there. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. You can send the PR now and fix that. I'm so. going to do it. I'm going to fix this. Uh, Unless you beat me to it. Somebody's going to beat me to it. I'm going to fix it either while I'm talking or after the show, one of the two. Yeah. The only problem is that we'll need to wait for the next Go deployment for that to work. So, mm. yeah. <laughs> Real problems. All right. Well, that is officially the end of the show. Thank you so much again for tuning in. We will see you next week. All right, that's it for this week's episode of Go Time. I hope you enjoyed it. Do us a favor, go on Overcast, go on Apple Podcasts, go on wherever you're listening to this podcast. 
favorite it, share it, like it, tweet it, whatever you got to do. Help us promote this show to your friends and fellow gophers. Bandwidth for GoTime and Changelog is provided by Fastly. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. And we move fast here at Changelog and fix things because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. Check them out. Support this show. Our music is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. And you can find more shows just like this at Changelog.com or on Apple Podcasts or on Overcast or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next week.